Welcome to On Fire. This is the On Fire podcast. My name is Ryan Allen. To address this topic, I was thinking about uh, a movie from long past. In 1984, this movie came out. It changed my childhood. Uh, This isn't a Star Wars reference, so if that's where your mind went, not this time. You youth have libraries of movies on the cloud that can be quickly and easily accessed. When I was young, we went to Adventureland Video and picked a VHS tape out of a library that's smaller than the least impressive free streaming service you have on your TV. So we had to rent a VCR. That's the, a player that plays uh, a VHS tape. We had to rent a VCR to play the tape also until I was about 9 or 10 and we bought our own. Anyway, by the time we finished this particular movie that we had rented, my older brother and I were flying off the couch, kicking each other and raising our arms and, and one leg and the legendary crane technique. We were instant martial artists. So if you haven't guessed, the movie we experienced was The Karate Kid. So in this movie, 15-year-old Daniel LaRusso moves from New Jersey to Southern California with his mother and his second day in this new uh, new place he attends a beach party with a new friend that invited him and he's thrown into a world that he doesn't understand and and doesn't really want to be part of so at this party he meets a girl named Allie on the beach and they hit it off and uh, before long though uh, Allie's ex-boyfriend and his buddies see Daniel and Allie flirting together and uh, and it's a problem so Johnny, the ex-boyfriend, decides he wants to discuss their relationship, but Allie is not interested. So Daniel comes between them to try and help Allie and ends up in a fight with Johnny. What Daniel doesn't know, however, but discovers pretty quickly, is that Johnny is a local karate champion. So Daniel's totally outmatched and ends up with a black eye and lots of bruises. Uh, didn't, and he didn't fare very well. As it goes on, Daniel tries to assimilate into his new high school and neighborhood, but he's constantly being bullied and attacked by Johnny and his gang of karate buddies known as the Cobra Kai. So Daniel finds himself in an ongoing war he doesn't want to be in or doesn't want to be a part of. Like it or not, though, Daniel has to deal with his foes. Uh, he, He meets the maintenance man for his apartment building, Mr. Miyagi, who just happens to be uh-oh, a karate master himself, and he teaches and mentors Daniel. So through Mr. Miyagi's training, Daniel is eventually able to defend himself and compete with the Cobra Kai. So why am I taking the time to tell you the plot of the Karate Kid? Maybe you already know it, you've seen it. The reason why is because you are Daniel. You came to Earth looking for good friends and experiences, not looking for any trouble, but you find yourself in the middle of a war. Maybe you don't even know you're in a war. Chances are you don't want conflict and just want to be left alone. Well, too bad. There are relentless bullies in the unseen world and they are basically out to get you whether you want a fight or not. Some of you have already been pummeled by the adversary and and others are barely aware of their existence. I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare today. So who are we fighting, how can we defend ourselves, and how can we overcome this enemy? That's what I want to discuss. I think this is really a very, very important topic. So I hope that you'll listen to this. I hope you'll benefit from it. I think it's not addressed enough, 
and I hope I hope you find it a benefit. So President Gordon B. Hinckley said this back in October of 1986. There is a war that has gone on since before the world was created and which is likely to continue for a long time yet to come. John the Revelator speaks of that struggle. This is from Revelation 12. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's the end of the quote in Revelation. Back to President Hinckley. That war, so bitter, so intense, has gone on, and it has never ceased. It is the war between truth and error, between agency and compulsion, between the followers of Christ and those who have denied him. His enemies have used every stratagem in that conflict. They've indulged in lying and deceit. They've employed money and wealth. They've tricked the minds of men. They've murdered and destroyed and engaged in every other unholy and impure practice to thwart the work of Christ. Right. President Wilford Woodruff said this, We are surrounded by evil spirits that are at war against God and against everything looking to the building up of the kingdom of God. And more recently, this from this is from Elder Larry R. Lawrence. Uh, he had an Enzyme article that I hope you'll read. It's from April of 2017, Enzyme magazine called The War Goes On. He says this, Anyone who follows international news will agree that we live in a time of wars and rumors of wars. Fortunately, everyone on earth is a war veteran. We have been battling the hosts of evil in an ongoing war that began in the premortal sphere before we were born. The war that began in heaven continues to this day. In fact, the battle is heating up as the saints prepare for the return of the Savior. Satan knows that his days are numbered. At the second coming of Jesus... Satan and his angels will be bound for a thousand years. As that deadline approaches, the forces of evil are fighting desperately to capture as many souls as they can. So how does Satan spend his days knowing he has no time to lose? The Apostle Peter wrote that the devil, is, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's the end of that quote. It might be interesting sometime for you to open the LDS hymn book and look at all of the hymns about battling or about war. There's Onward Christian Soldiers, Hope of Israel, Behold a Royal Army, and Who's on the Lord's Side, uh, just for a few examples. But this imagery and theme of battle and war is very much a part of our hymns and scriptures, and we need to be aware of it. We need to be in the know that we are that we're involved in this conflict, whether we want to be or not. We just are. President Russell M. Nelson recently warned the brethren in a priesthood session of General Conference about our adversary and how the battle is raging. He said this, Brethren, we need to do better and be better because we are in a battle. The battle with sin is real. The adversary is quadrupling his efforts to disrupt testimonies and impede the work of the Lord. Listen to this. He is arming his minions with potent weapons to keep us from partaking of the joy and love of the Lord. The forces of evil have never raged more forcefully than they do today. 
As servants of the Lord, we cannot be asleep while this battle rages. After millennia of practicing his cunning arts, the adversary is experienced and incorrigible. That's the end of the quote. The adversary, as President Nelson calls him, is Lucifer or Satan, but he's not working alone. Sometimes we, we attribute all temptation and all deception to the one person, to, to Satan, but he's just one spirit person. We read this in last week's podcast called Hear Him. Uh, if you didn't hear that one, this is from President Wilford Woodruff, and we already mentioned Elder Lawrence talking about the billions of casualties. So Wilford Woodruff said this, When God has had a people on the earth, it matters not in what age. Lucifer, the son of the morning, and the millions of fallen spirits that were cast out of heaven have warred against God, against Christ, against the work of God, and against the people of God, and they are not backward in doing it in our day and generation. Let's look to the scriptures and see if we can identify who our enemies are and what they seek to do to us. So in the Book of Mormon, the prophet Nephi has shown a vision of Jesus Christ's ministry, as well as what will happen in our day. He describes what he was shown. This is 1 Nephi 11.31. And I beheld multitudes of people who were sick and who were afflicted with all manner of diseases and with devils and unclean spirits. And the angel spake and showed, showed all these things unto me. And they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God. And the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. For a long time, I thought that these two categories of enemies were the same. Now I think that Nephi, that Nephi saw two different types of spirits. Devils would be the spirits who were cast out of heaven, who chose Lucifer and, and are destined to be cast into outer darkness. Unclean spirits, I believe, are the spirits of men and women who have been born into mortality and, and lived wicked lives and have died now and entered the spirit world. They have chosen to follow Lucifer in this life, even though they didn't choose him in pre-mortality. They are new recruits to the dark side. That may or may not be what those terms mean, but regardless, those two types of spirits exist and make war against us. So in Mosiah 3, 6 in the Book of Mormon, it says this about Jesus. And he shall cast out devils or the spirits which dwell in the hearts of the children of men. Okay, so that's what these devils do. They seek to, at least, to dwell in the hearts of the children of men. They seek to possess the bodies of Heavenly Father's children and do so if they're allowed. Uh, another thing that they do to us is described in 2 Nephi Chapter 32, verse 8, The evil spirit teacheth not a man to pray, but teacheth him that he must not pray. So when we ignore a prompting to pray or just know that we should pray and don't, it's likely that we're being prompted by an evil spirit not to pray. That's one of the things that they do. All through the New Testament, there are accounts of Jesus casting out evil spirits or devils. Too many to list here. But they cause a, a variety of afflictions for their hosts or, or victims. Uh, we're, we read accounts of some people who are made dumb, meaning they can't talk. Some are made blind, and some cause the person that they're inhabiting to thrash around or to hurt themselves, uh, be thrown into the, a fire, uh, all sorts of things. So they, they're basically just uh, relentless and ruthless and seeking for our misery. Elder David A. Bednar said this in 
his talk, Watchful Unto Prayer Continually, October 2019. Satan is the enemy of righteousness and of those who seek to do the will of God. All day, every day, his only intent and sole purpose are to make the sons and daughters of God miserable like unto himself. The devil labors to make the sons and daughters of God confused and unhappy and to hinder their eternal progression. The adversary works relentlessly to attack the elements of the Father's plan he hates the most. That's the end of that quote. So all day, every day, these devils don't rest, they don't sleep, they don't eat. They're after us all the time. All right, so there was a cartoon in the 1980s called G.I. Joe about kind of a special military unit. At the end of each episode, the characters would help a kid with a real-world problem. They'd give him information about something that he didn't know. The tagline they used was, Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Well, now you know that there are multitudes of hostile enemies all around you. You know that they want to destroy you, deceive you, and make you miserable. So being aware of these threats is surprisingly empowering. If you can identify that an actual evil spirit, not some vague, faceless power, is tempting you to, to look at pornography or to hurt someone else or to ignore promptings from the spirit, you'll be less likely to take the bait and to commit sin. So if you can sense darkness and, and detect that a devil or devils are causing you to be depressed or anxious or to loathe yourself or to cause harm to yourself, you can more easily deal with those negative feelings. It is helpful to know the source and, and what to do about it. Uh, having, having knowledge of these things, like we just mentioned in, from G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. Well, we, we need to have knowledge. Uh, this is what Joseph Smith said uh, in that regard. A man must have the discerning of spirits before he can drag into daylight this hellish influence and unfold it unto the world in all its soul-destroying, diabolical, and horrid colors. For nothing is a greater injury to the children of men than to be under the influence of a false spirit when they think they have the Spirit of God. So the discerning of spirits is one of the spiritual gifts that's listed in the scriptures, and it's basically being able to discern if a spirit is of God or of the devil. And, and he says nothing is of greater injury than to basically to think you're under the influence of a, of a true spirit or a good spirit when it's really a, a false or evil spirit. Here's another quote from Joseph Smith. He says, Knowledge does away with darkness, suspense, and doubt, for these cannot exist where knowledge is. In knowledge there is power. God has more power than all other beings because he has greater knowledge, and hence he knows how to subject all other beings to him. He has power over all. And one more from the Prophet Joseph. A man is saved no faster than he gets knowledge, for if he does not get knowledge, he will be brought into captivity by some evil power in the other world, as evil spirits will have more knowledge and consequently more power than many men who are on the earth. Hence, it needs revelation to assist us and give us knowledge of the things of God. All right, so knowing, having knowledge is power and protection. Okay, um, Elder Lawrence, in that Enzyme article we quoted earlier, 
lists several of Satan's tactics. These are the things that he does to try and, and hurt and destroy us. One is temptation. Two, lies and deception. Three, contention. And four, discouragement. So when we find those things happening, we, we can detect their source. When we're tempted to do something we know we shouldn't, when we or someone else lies or deceives, that's of Satan. Contention, when we have a contentious spirit or when we allow ourselves to become angry and contentious, that's of the devil. And being discouraged, uh, or especially believing negative, untrue things about ourselves and others is from the devil also. All right, if we will kind of consider what we know about warfare, maybe from, I don't know, from from movies or history books or whatever we wherever we have seen warfare, we we can identify what it is we need to be effective in battle. So basically we need defensive armor and we need offensive weapons. So let's talk about what some of those are. I love this scripture from the New Testament. This is Romans 13, 12. And Paul says this, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I love that imagery, the armor of light. So light armor. Light is armor to us. Um, Elder Robert D. Hales gave this talk. This is... uh, from April 2002, called Out of Darkness into His Marvelous Light. Elder Hale says this, Light dispels darkness. When light is present, darkness is vanquished and must depart. More importantly, darkness cannot conquer light unless the light is diminished or departs. When the spiritual light of the Holy Ghost is present, the darkness of Satan departs. Beloved young men and young women of the church, We are engaged in a battle between the forces of light and darkness. If it were not for the light of Jesus Christ and his gospel, we would be doomed to the destruction of darkness. But the Savior said, I am come a light into the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Lord is our light and literally our salvation. Like the sacred fire that encircled the children in 3 Nephi, His light will form a protective shield between you and the darkness of the adversary as you live worthy of it. You need that light. We need that light. Carefully study the scriptures and for the strength of youth and listen to the teachings of your parents and leaders. Then by obedience to wise counsel, learn to claim the protective light of the gospel as your own. You may wonder, how can I do that? There is only one way. You must learn to generate that light each day by believing on Jesus Christ and following his commandments. That's awesome. What great counsel and, and, and what a good summary of what this battle is all about. We get additional imagery of spiritual armor from the scriptures. One of my favorites is from also from the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 12 through 17. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Great description of what the armor of God is and what attributes and qualities uh, we need to, to possess in order to be protected. Another defensive strategy is to call in reinforcements. You don't have to battle the forces of darkness alone. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, Pray without ceasing. Ask angels to help you. One of the authorities of the Aaronic Priesthood is the keys to the ministering of angels. If you hold the Aaronic Priesthood, you have that authority and right. If you don't hold a priesthood office, don't worry. You, you can also call upon the Lord to send his angels and he'll hear and answer that. In his last general conference address before he passed away, President Thomas S. Monson uh, identified having a testimony of the Savior and reading the Book of Mormon as defensive tools against evil forces. He said this, We live in a time of great trouble and wickedness. What will protect us from the sin and evil so prevalent in the world today? I maintain that a strong testimony of our Savior Jesus Christ and of his gospel will help see us through to safety. If you are not reading the Book of Mormon each day, please do so. Then later in his talk, he said, I implore each of us to prayerfully study and ponder the Book of Mormon each day. As we do so, we will be in a position to hear the voice of the Spirit, to resist temptation, to overcome doubt and fear, and to receive heaven's help in our lives. So how about some offense? What can you and I do to battle devils and unclean spirits? President Russell M. Nelson told us that our spiritual survival depends on our having strategies and battle plans. So we can't we can't be passive in our approach to fighting this war. We can't simply just ignore our enemies and, and expect that they'll leave us alone. President Russell M. Nelson said this: the adversary is increasing his attacks on faith and upon us and our families at an exponential rate. To survive spiritually, we need counter strategies and proactive plans. So that's pretty strong language. Let me read that one more time. The adversary is increasing his attacks on faith and upon us and our families at an exponential rate. To survive spiritually, we need counter strategies and proactive plans. All right, Elder, Elder Lawrence, who we've been, been quoting in this, this article, gave this counsel on dealing with, with our adversaries. In my opinion, this is the most vital and effective strategy, and we need to become proficient in using it. Elder Lawrence said this, How can we resist this direct temptation? One of the most effective tools is to simply send Satan away. That's what Jesus would do. The New Testament account of the Savior on the Mount of Temptations is instructive. After each temptation the devil presented to him, Jesus used a two-step defensive technique. First, he ordered Satan to leave, and then he quoted scripture. And he goes on to, to talk about how, how those are uh, effective and, and which scriptures Jesus quoted and how it caused Satan to flee. The biography of President Heber J. Grant gives insight into how President Grant as a young man resisted the devil. When President Grant recognized that Satan was whispering to him, trying to plant doubts in his heart, he simply said out loud, Mr. Devil, shut up. You have the right to tell Satan to leave when you are confronted with temptation. The scriptures teach, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
So President Nelson suggests doing the same thing. Uh, he talks about two things relating to the temple that will help us combat the adversary. This is from his talk, Hear Him, that we referenced in a, a, that was referenced in a previous podcast. The house of the Lord is a house of learning. There the Lord teaches in his own way. There each ordinance teaches about the Savior. There we learn how to part the veil and communicate more clearly with heaven. And listen to this part. There we learn how to rebuke the adversary and draw upon the Lord's priesthood power to strengthen us and those we love. How eager each of us should be to seek refuge there. So attending the temple is a defensive measure in and of itself. And there in the endowment ceremony, we are taught exactly how to rebuke Satan and his minions. President Nelson also said this about serving and worshiping in the temple. Satan certainly does not want you to understand that every time you worthily serve and worship in the temple, you leave armed with God's power and with his angels having charge over you. So if you have been endowed in the temple, you also understand that the temple garment is a defensive shield against the adversary. And if you have yet to be endowed, then you, that's something you can look forward to. And, and you'll understand better uh, when you attend the temple and have that experience. The Melchizedek priesthood has specific authority to cast out devils and unclean spirits. Jesus gave this authority to his apostles. This is Matthew 10 verse 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. All right, in the Doctrine and Covenants, the elders are basically given the green light to, to cast out devils in addition to healing, basically without hesitation. So Doc, Doctrine and Covenants 24.13, the Lord says this, Require not miracles, except I shall command you, except casting out devils, healing the sick, and against poisonous serpents, and against deadly poisons. Right? So he says, require not miracles, except this. You these, these miracles you can do anytime. Casting out devils, healing the sick, and then against poisons. In fact, the first miracle that was performed in the church was casting out a devil. That The account of that happening is, is recorded in the, the church history book called Saints, Volume 1. This is on page 92. It involved Joseph Smith and Newell Knight. So this is quoting from, from Saints, Volume 1. Joseph Smith hurried to Newell's side and found family members and neighbors watching fearfully as the young man's face, arms, and legs contorted wildly. When Newell saw Joseph, he cried, Cast the devil out! Joseph had never tried to rebuke the devil or heal someone before, but he knew Jesus had promised his disciples the power to do so. Acting quickly, he caught Newell by the hand. In the name of Jesus Christ, he said, Depart from him. As soon as Joseph spoke, the contortion stopped. Newell slumped to the floor, exhausted but unharmed, muttering that he had seen the devil leave his body. The knights and their neighbors were astonished by what Joseph had done. Helping them carry Newell to a bed, Joseph told them it was the first miracle performed in the church. So a, a search in the church's library app for cast out devils yields 113 references just from the scriptures. So here's a sampling and, and see how these are similar. 1 Nephi 11:31, And they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God, and the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. 3 Nephi 7:19, And in the name of Jesus did he cast out devils and unclean spirits. Mormon 9:24, 24, 
And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. Mark 16, 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. Doctrine and Covenants 35, 9. And whoso shall ask it in my name in faith, they shall cast out devils. Section 84, verse 67. In my name they shall cast out devils. So what did all those scriptures have in common? The key to casting out devils and unclean spirits is using the name of Jesus Christ. They all said that in my name or in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ is where the power lies. The Lord has has allowed Satan to have certain to have a certain degree of power to provide opposition so that we can choose between good and evil, but that power has limits. He must respect the authority and power of Jesus Christ. So with that being the case, can women and young women who don't hold a priest to office rebuke and cast out devils? And I, looking at those scriptures, I didn't see anything in the scriptures we just read requiring, requiring priesthood ordination. Uh, I believe that faith and the actual power of the priesthood not so much authority, but the power of the priesthood are closely related, if not identical. And I know several sisters who have successfully rebuked evil spirits in the name of Jesus Christ, not by the authority of the priesthood, but in the name of Jesus Christ and sent them packing. So sisters, you are not defenseless. Your faith is power and you can rebuke devils. So one huge advantage that you and I have in this war is that we already know how it ends. We know the end from the beginning. We've read the spoilers, right? We know whose power is greater and who will triumph in the end. The most important thing for us to do is to keep ourselves on the right side of this conflict. So President Gordon B. Hinckley said this, in this work, there must be commitment. There must be devotion. We are engaged in a great eternal struggle that concerns the very souls of the sons and daughters of God. We are not losing. We are winning. We will continue to win if we will be faithful and true. We can do it. We must do it. We will do it. There is nothing the Lord has asked of us that in faith we cannot accomplish. And then later he says, the war goes on. It is waged across the world over the issues of agency and compulsion. It is waged by an army of missionaries over the issues of truth and error. It is waged in our own lives, day in and day out, in our homes, in our work in our school associations. It is waged over questions of love and respect, of loyalty and fidelity, of obedience and integrity. We are all involved in it, each of us. We are winning, and the future never looked brighter. I want to add my optimistic outlook to President Hinckley's. We will win. The future is bright. I know the Lord has prepared you and I for this. It's time for us to suit up fasten on our armor and win this war so with Jesus Christ as our as our king and our captain we can't lose our battles with darkness are frequent and some are more intense than others but if we will utilize the tools our scriptures and our church leaders have provided we can prevail each day if you and I will stand in holy places if we seek to bring light into our lives if we'll, if we'll avoid music and TV shows and movies and social media that are dark and that invite darkness, 
will find Satan's power diminished in our lives. We need not fear. Our enemy is inferior and has no future. So let's use our knowledge and our faith as weapons and with our Savior's help win this war. I testify to you that we can and we will and do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.